Welcome back to another installment of The Fifth Column. Delighted you decided to join us. It's a very special episode. This is the fifth episode. And that is fifth. F-I-F. Is that fifth. Right? Is yeah. It, is it fifth episode? It's the fifth episode. Oh. This is it. Uh, I'm Camille Foster of Freethink Media. I'm delighted to be here with you. I would say joined as always, uh, except I'm not joined as always. No. Uh, our good friend, Matt Welch of Reason Magazine. Is not with us today. I'm, I'm kind of relieved. <laughs> He's that, away. Am I the only one that's R- 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 <laughs> He's away yeah. on assignment. Uh, we expect he'll return, uh, but if he doesn't, <clears throat> I really don't care to be honest. Whatever, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I am, in fact, joined, however, by uh, Michael Moynihan, the Daily Beast, and uh, Vice News. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, an, uh, an for association. Being here, I assume Vice News is regretting every day. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and we do have a special guest, an illustrious guest, one of yeah. my favorite people in the universe. Yeah, uh, a gentleman by the name. Name of Andy Levy. TV you know is Andy him. Levy on the radio. The yeah. longest tenured co-host of uh, Fox News's Red Eye. And, and I look, I know you people watch. You stay up really late and you watch the show. And you watch for the same reason I do. And look, the guy at the helm may change and... and Plenty funny and enjoyable and great. Then like five different ones. Joanne is great. But <laughs> Very Andy, funny. Love Andy Levy is an American hero. I mean, he's really the constant. I mean, this is what's keeping the show afloat. Totally. Yeah. So, mean, Andy, thank you for joining us. Today. No, thanks for having me. I'm not... I'm not entirely comfortable with being called a hero. You you are. But if you feel you have to, I, <laughs> yes, I, I, exactly. I understand. You are an American hero. It's not something I would ever call myself. Yeah. 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 I, I have to say that you're the Audie Murphy of very late night television. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this has nothing to do with your military service. This is everything uh, to do oh, that's right. you were in the military. with your attacks on Chris Brown. On Twitter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That really I mean, that was it a special yeah. sort of man to stand up to him and <laughs> yeah. his rabid, rabid fans. So thank you for, for doing that for all of us. That was my pleasure. And for being there, here. There is a thing. There's a point when you're like a kind of loser, um, a media person like me, is that you do some stupid thing and it becomes the thing that's associated with you forever. <laughs> like I did one story and it's like, oh, you did that journal error story. I was like, yeah, I've also written 40 million words of like stuff that you would find deeply objectionable. And then like, you know, that's the thing. Like Andy. Levy, like, oh, yeah, I know Andy Levy. He's got like 250,000 Twitter followers, really funny. And he's the one that made fun of Chris Brown. I'm like, yeah, that's well, there's well, your there's, legacy. There's something to, to, you know, eviscerating people's careers and, and outing I them to- for plagiarism, which also puts a, a target on your your own forehead. Yeah, and also, and also <laughs> so, uh, calling them out for beating up ladies. Yeah, <laughs> also, not a bad thing. Uh, not, not a bad no, thing. I, the calling out, not the beating up of ladies. That's The calling yeah. out is not a bad thing. Uh, I was confused. Yeah, no, we I should know. talk about that <laughs> sorry, because there sorry. may be some disagreement there. Um, there have been a lot, of, uh, a lot of things since the last time we got together. So the show today is, is chock full of goodness. We are going to run through the developments and the never-ending story that is the 2016 presidential primary. Uh, apparently, there's a Trumpian foreign policy, so that must be discussed as well. Uh, oh, great. America's greatest enemies are apparently sore losers and the mainstream media, and I suspect money as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is trouble afoot in Venezuela, unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and towards the end of the show, we will have a little bit of fun with razors. Occam's razor. Oh, uh, oh my so, yeah. <laughs> I thought we were all going to have to shave you again. <laughs> so without further ado, let's, let's, let's get into it. I did want to maybe start off by talking about Prince. Maybe there are fond remembrances. Sure. That is the most important thing that's happened in the last it is. six or seven days. Why? What happened? 
Well, he, he passed away. What? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought you meant that new tragedy. album he put out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the reason I would want to talk about it is because seven days is about as long as you need to start denigrating him. Uh, and talking you know, about all I of the horrible shortcomings of this man. I don't think that in this culture, these you've been paying attention, it's usually about five minutes when oh, this happens. Yeah. I don't know why there is a special yeah. uh, Prince dispensation. I think he caught, um, this is when I get very um, sort of conspiratorial. Uh, much like Prince, actually. That mm. um, I think he got a special dispensation because, you know, late in his life, he got involved in the, the Black Lives Matter movement. People liked his politics. Had his politics been slightly more objectionable, I think the knives would have come out a little quicker. Oh, yeah. Uh, for lyrics, you know, there's the old, like, I saw one person and it didn't get picked up on anyone, but there were the American Library Association or something who said, like, oh, he's lyrics, you know, glorifying rape. And, you know, the lyrics were pretty... Pretty much glorifying his <laughs> prints. It's early '80s prints, right? And you know, the Washington Post did a piece that said, like, oh, you know, he had objectionable, uh, objectionable views on gay marriage. It's like, you know, he's a musician, and he just died. Like, why are you have to sift yeah. through his ideology? Yeah, when I he did died? see there was a quote from it was either Wendy or Lisa. Yeah, yeah, uh, was great by the way. Basically <laughs> saying that uh, as later in life, that Prince basically said to her, you know, oh, I can't condone what you're doing, and it kind of wrecked their friendship completely. Really? Yeah. Were they lesbians? Yeah, they were married, I think. Is that or, right? Or cohabitating. Oh, God, I don't I don't, appre- I don't condone that. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I absolutely condone it. I, I love it. And I think they're both great. <laughs> wow, I didn't know. And she actually, the, the, the princess actually said that to them. That's what, yeah, so wow. she says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Some objectionable views on uh, on gay marriage, but he's Prince. A lot of, a lot of paranoia. A lot of paranoia. A lot of paranoia. There. Like but I did the, get the chemtrails yeah, that were yeah, causing yeah. Ne- <laughs> Negro people to fight one another. By in the inner way, cities. there literally is once a time a podcast. I have to point out that on the radio that Camille is black <laughs> <laughs> because I would not allow that on a podcast what, that the I was use on. Of the word Negro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you is know, colored what? is colored acceptable. N- n- no, I mean it's oh, like not 1930. Gosh. For Christ's sake, <laughs> Jesus. I just don't understand why you're also quick to great chemtrails. Yeah, it was I, less, I thought I was coming on a libertarian podcast, and now I find this out is, it's this just is decidedly more of this, this is decidedly not media. This yeah. is decidedly not a libertarian podcast. Well, I, I think I just, ran screaming away from um, self-identifying as a libertarian when I consistently heard Alex Jones referred to as a libertarian. Yeah, no, um, I, I've kind of stopped to not for Alex Jones, but there are a bunch of conservatives who now yeah. want to call themselves libertarians. Yeah, because have you ever, have you seen what conservatives yeah, are like? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I'm just, yeah, you I, want to call I, yourself anything, yeah. right? So, at, at any rate, now that we've endured that digression, <laughs> I, I was really just trying to put off talking about the primaries because I'm so sick of certain aspects of it and it won't stop. Uh, but it's worth mentioning, you've paid attention to the news cycle. You know that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton cleaned house uh, earlier this week and won a bunch of primaries, that they're both closer to clenching the nomination There is still an outside chance that Donald Trump will not. But it seems pretty obvious that Ted Cruz cannot do it. He has been mathematically eliminated. And the only thing that could actually get him the nomination at this point is something happening uh, at the convention. Gentlemen, with him being uh, not Ted Cruz, but Donald Trump at this point, the presumptive nominee, uh, how awful a thing is this is this terrible is it awful it's does awful. it spell it's pretty the bad. end it's of pretty, the republic it's pretty bad it's pretty bad well, no, no, no no the end of the republican party and awful are not the same thing yeah, yeah and I, I hadn't even got to that part yet so, i mean yeah. that is yeah. so this is the thing there's the end Encouraged of the re- there's the end of the republic which yeah. apparently oh, is, is yeah. also at, at stake the lower stakes are supposedly that trump's nomination even if he doesn't win 
uh, could in fact spell the end of the party. And in fact, if he's not nominated, if they choose right. someone else at the convention, that this spells the end of the party. Is that true? Should we care? First, first off, it doesn't appear that he has clinched the nomination for one reason, because Ted Cruz is appointing a full cabinet <laughs> yeah. at this point. He has, there's, a, there's literally a chancellor of the exchequer, which I don't even believe we had in America, that he's appointed this morning. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is. Is it the end? I mean, it's the end of the party, one would hope. You know, uh, Michael Barone, and, you know, I know we all read this piece, or the, wrote a piece in the Wall, uh, Wall Street Journal, saying that it's not the end of the Republican Party. Well, I suspect he's probably right for one reason, because I think that the Republican Party is about to go down to such a crushing and smashing defeat that it will be the revivification of the Republican Party in more along more normal lines. So mm-hmm. the, the death of the Republican Party or the rebuilding of it is not necessarily a bad thing. So I would I fully support the the destruction of the Republican Party. Yeah, my only hope, my only regret is that it won't take the Democratic Party down with it. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. That's, that's the only bad thing. Exactly. Here. Look, I'm I'm all in favor of burning it all down. I just, I, you know, I think Trump and his supporters are the wrong arsonists at this point, and that that's my only problem. But I don't know. I, I generally we hear this a lot in politics. You know, uh, that oh, the death of this party is imminent, and you know, whatever. Uh, the Democratic Party didn't die in 1972 when it got wiped out. It didn't die in, yeah, 19... in one state. Yeah, yeah it didn't die with Mondale. Yeah. It, it revamped itself. That's sort of what you were saying. The Republican Party deal. Yeah. I mean, you, you had the whole DLC thing, uh, and, and and that led to Bill Clinton. The Republican Party, it seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong about this, is sort of headed down the path of extinction anyway, just because of simple demographics. Totally true in America. Yeah. So they've got to do something and. It may be that the Trump thing is actually helps them because it will force them to do something sooner rather than later. Because the easy thing is always to do nothing and just, you know, you see, oh, well, in 20 years we're in trouble because of demographics or yeah. 30 years. Well, we'll worry about that then. But, I mean, and now they might have to do something now. I mean, you guys remember the 2012 autopsy. Remember that report? Yeah, I remember the right. news conference yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. saying we have to be more open to X, Y, and Z ideas and people uh-huh. and demographics. And – the problem with the Republican Party and the problem with that sort of uh, piece of advice that was widely distributed, widely reported, was that it didn't take into consideration the voters who have no interest in doing that. <laughs> and, this, and as one would hope, it's the last gasp of the angry sort of, a you know, 50 to 70 year old. You know, white guy that is is thinks that immigrants are the person, the people responsible for, for you know, their economic Situation, which isn't true. I mean, the thing is, is you look at any of these numbers, where immigrants and where outsourcing is actually affected, it does not overlap with where Donald right, Trump's votes right. are. So, I mean, the anger that is out there is something that is it is it isn't anchored to you know any real feeling or real. I mean, for Christ's sake, what, what is unemployment right now? Is it five percent? Something around five percent? Right. That's I, sure. I, the idea, right? I mean, it we depends are on what day someone is listening to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. right? So <laughs> we're not in Venezuela. We're going to get to that. It's like tomorrow is twenty eight percent. You yet. know, Soon. we're all using the bills as toilet paper. I mean, look, it's not the Weimar Republic. I mean, the idea that America is in this really grim situation when you look across the world, it's really it's not that bad. And I'm not saying this from like you know your perch and you know the coastal elites or the ivory towers or something. It's like no, I don't have a ton of money either, and you know I'm struggling to make ends 
happens in this city. It's actually, for all these people out there, it's harder to live in New York City than it is anywhere else on the planet because it's really expensive. But this idea that Trump is a response to this groundswell of um, America's economic uh, malaise and decline, I just don't buy it. Well, there's at least a perception amongst uh, a broad swath of the populace, both on on the left and the right, that they have been left out of something, that everyone else is getting ahead. And And it's true that wages have not been stagnant for Wages has been stagnant for a while. To be honest about that. There there seems to be less opportunity for folks who aren't as well educated. There there are deep concerns about that stuff. And I I can appreciate and understand a lot of that. They feel like they're being ignored by the party. I think the Barone piece, though, it does try to push back against just this current um, of of public – not public opinion, but media opinion uh, that seems to suggest that the GOP is in real trouble. And the the principal components of his argument are that there has been serious disagreement amongst various factions of the GOP in the past um, and that the Trump movement lacks the ideological firepower and substance that was behind the Goldwater uh, campaign in the, in the 1960s, 1964, um, which faltered, did not do particularly well, um, but did leave essentially a path for the GOP to follow. That part of his argument, if nothing else, seems to hold some water for me. I I don't don't see much intellectual weight there. If you look at the Carl Hess speech, um, in in 1964, Carl Hess writes this speech that becomes, you know, this kind of movement conservative paving the way. Who is doing that for Donald Trump now? And, what you know, he's planting the seeds for for the Reagan revolution. What is Trump planting the seeds for? Like Nazism? I mean, like, what is the... Where are we going uh, from? Come on, but what... What is if this is kind of laying the groundwork as Goldwater had done in 1964, which is laying the ground the groundwork for the Reagan Revolution? What on earth is this laying the groundwork? For? It's a it's but I it, because it's it's cultural. Yeah, to me, Trump is Trump sure. Trumpism is cultural. It and it's basically it's uh, uh, it's a. It's a counter It's a it's a cultural counter revolution. Yeah, in a sense, it's it's a pushback against. You know, as you said earlier, it's sort of it's 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 probably not the last gasp, but it's a gasp from the angry white dude. Yeah. And but it but to me, it's more of a cultural pushback and less of an economic pushback. I I agree that economics does play a role in it. And like you said, the feeling that people are left out, the feeling that the system is rigged, which they ain't wrong about. Um but to me, it's you know, and this is why when Trump always says I'm not going to be PC and political correctness is blah blah, blah that's what this is about. That this is people who feel like they've been told they need to shut up, yeah, and that they can't use the words that they have that they used all through their life, and Which they shouldn't, by the way, <laughs> like just for yeah, the record. But that's why I say it, 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 <laughs> yeah. to me, it's it's a counter revolution. Yeah. There's, there's probably there's probably something to be said for that the counter revolution component of it, and, and being told you can't use certain words. But I, I think it also has something to do with being castigated for being racist and homophobic when, in fact, absolutely you're not. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I was going to go on from the right. It's, it's not just it's so, not just so, you can't use this word. Right, right. It's it's you can't think this. Yeah. and you can't you know because deviation deviation from this particular perspective right. is in fact intolerable. The, I think, I, I think the, the, my problem with, uh, with Barone's piece is one bit in particular and I just found it here is this category error that somebody has to correct and nobody has corrected. And I'm going to read you this actually half of a sentence here. 
uh, about Donald Trump, denouncing Mexican immigrants as murderers, ridiculing a handicapped reporter, announcing that prisoners of war are not heroes, threatening to, quote, spill the beans on another candidate's wife. Such defiance of political correctness. Okay, stop there. Yeah. (laughs) That's not (laughs) political correctness. That's not defiance of political correctness. Defiance of political correctness is when somebody says, you know, I say black, you have to say person of color. And if you don't, you violated some societal norm that makes you uh, monstrous. Say, like literally indicate like imitating a handicapped reporter on stage <laughs> right. is not is, is not flying in right. the face of little political correctness. It's rude. It's nasty. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. unkind. But, and that's not what political correctness is. No, but I, I'm I, tired of that category. I, I, like, sure. Because it's ruining I mean, the one thing that is ruining the Republican Party, but it's also ruining this idea of political correctness. I was talked about this today on the radio. I was I had an idea at one point that I was going to write a cultural history of political correctness. I would avoid writing about political correctness now because I, I, I it's not I, I don't want to be associated with this kind well, of this the, view of it the term doesn't mean anything right now right. The term no. simply now like if I see someone and I, I've said this before political correctness is now being used as cover for being a jerk like yeah, if sure. you say I'm not politically correct I would yeah. say 70 75 percent of that time that means oh you're a jerk yeah you're yeah. not it's not that you're politically incorrect you're yeah. you're just a jerk it yeah, used, no. It's, it I mean, but that, mean that, but that, and that's the cadence of the of the Trump way of doing right. it. Walking next to someone, it's like you're a huge fat shit. Hey, hey look at me. I'm just not politically correct. You gotta, you gotta understand me. Yeah. It's like don't do your dice clay routine. You're right. but, trying to be the. But president. I mean, some of that is a response to like the For culture, sure. the culture of yes. political correctness, For sure. and a lot of it is grandstanding and trying to provoke a response. Yeah. from from people who again have have castigated them and who. The the folks on the right probably view as completely ridiculous. I just so got sure. To, I just got to give you something. Yeah, you, you, something you know what I love about the fifth column podcast? What's that? But, but besides that, I get to hang out with Andy Lady. I just got a, <laughs> I got a really good idea for a column because <laughs> I, I need to I need to write something this week. But the thing is, 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 is there is, the, and I'll give you the, the teaser of what this thought that just popped in my head is that. This is the same backlash that is happening uh, across across Europe too. Sure, because what is what happened in the country that I lived in for so long and whose media I follow very closely is Sweden, is that there has been a prohibition on every possible front. I know one person that writes about it, and he basically quit Twitter and is basically not writing anymore of talking about immigration in Europe. And so, especially you know, so, so much of this immigration comes from Muslim countries. To talking about anti-Semitism and things like this, there has been an absolute prohibition. And they literally—this is not a joke—they actually the parties banded together to say that they wouldn't talk about it. This is right and left. And what happens in Sweden is you have 25 percent of the electorate now voting for a party that has its roots in Nazism, Nazism. yeah, which is which is the Sweden Democrats. And like that is when you put a firewall around stuff, yeah. you you can expect the rise of people like Trump and and. Parties like this we can talk I, about. I'm gonna I'm gonna write and publish a column on this the minute we, the minute we get out of here. <laughs> like, what are you writing on your phone? Are you texting somebody? Like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm just filing. Yeah. That's, but, but by the way, I'll just pad it out to get money for it. But that's essentially the column. Right? I don't need any more. <laughs> so, I mean, speaking speaking of of sort of uh, of Europe and and all of the various things that are going on in the world. Uh, Donald Trump also attempted to give a very serious speech earlier this week. His, uh, he laid out the Trumpian foreign policy, uh, the, the Trump doctrine. Uh, I will play a little bit about of this. Yeah. I don't want to subject you all to too much of it, but there is <laughs> yeah. at least a portion of it that I think is worth sort of kicking the discussion off with, because there are elements of it that are, I mean, this very much a broke clock thing going on here, yeah. where he seems to hit some high notes. So here, here's the best 
portion of this speech. After the Cold War, our foreign policy veered badly off course. We failed to develop a new vision for a new time. In fact, as time went on, our foreign policy began to make less and less sense. Logic was replaced with foolishness and arrogance, which led to one foreign policy disaster after another. They just kept coming and coming. We went from mistakes in Iraq to Egypt, to Libya, to President Obama's line in the sand in Syria. Each of these actions have helped to throw the region into chaos and gave ISIS the space it needs to grow and prosper. Very bad. It all began with very, a dangerous very bad. Very idea bad. <laughs> the dangerous idea that we could make Western democracies out of countries that had no experience or interest in becoming a Western democracy. We tore up what institutions they had and then were surprised at what we unleashed. Civil war, religious fanaticism, thousands of Americans and just killed lives, lives, lives wasted, horribly wasted. Many trillions of dollars were lost as a result. You, you get the idea. It's yeah. the, the ad-libbing from Donald yeah. Trump while he was giving this teleprompter-driven sure. speech yeah. yesterday. Just inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Very bad. I, I think you like the speech, Camille. Much to our I have detriment. To say, I think you do, too. Very From a sad. libertarian perspective, yeah. there were things to like in sure. this speech. It's like you said about the broken clock thing. Uh-huh. The whole idea, I mean, he talks about how we need to... Get out of the nation building business. He hmm. said that. He said that. We've we've heard that from the last. I know, two but presidents. at least he's saying. <laughs> and there, there was this, this quote. I, I wrote down this quote. He said, "The world must know that we do not go abroad in search of enemies. That we are always happy when old enemies become friends, and when old friends become allies." That's a nice summary of non-interventionism. Uh-huh. I don't know that he means it. Yeah. No, well, it's, uh, it's also a very obvious cognitive dissonance going on here. Right. I mean, he, he goes on from there to talk about the various other places where we have to go and where we will, in fact, project strength and how if we'll only trust him. Just trust him. Well, that's, Unicorn-like, I mean, that's the, the world will be a peaceful right. place and ISIS will disappear in there's, moments. There's a, there are a number of sort of compounded stupidities in this speech, too. Yes. One of these things where he says, you know, the, the, you like that quote, I don't like it so much. When he says, you know, our old f- our enemies will become friends. I mean, he's talking about one country in particular. He's talking about Russia. Russia. Uh-huh. Know, and yeah. look what the reset did. I mean, wh- backed away entirely when, you know, Russian planes buzz American warships. There's no consequences. When the Russians invade Georgia, when the Russians take... But I... I, I Half of Ukraine, but no, that will I'm just, I, with President Trump. Yeah, I know. <laughs> now, now, I don't have any idea what one does in response to this because this this isn't my bailiwick. But the idea, <laughs> I like, the, I like that. The we offer I, the criticism, but I don't know what you But this is exactly what Trump did. What Trump did, he was like, "This is these are the prescription." He's basically the doctor that has diagnosed everything that's wrong with you, and then you say, "Oh God, that was great. That was brilliant." So, what's the treatment? He says, "I don't fucking know." No, no, he didn't say, "I don't know." He said. It's a secret. It's right. a secret. Well, yeah. It's a right. secret. <laughs> yeah, this a, is this is peekaboo foreign yeah. policy. Yeah. I like it. He doesn't want to project. He doesn't want to tell ISIS what we're going to do because right. he doesn't want to give them any indication. Yeah, no it's, it's, it's total nonsense. It's a secret. Total Just trust nonsense. me. I know how to do total this. Well, hold on. Nixon had a secret plan. Yeah, he did. And that worked. Yeah, it was called bombing Cambodia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't see what the yeah, problem yeah, is yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think there's some people that disagree with <laughs> you on that. But no, I, this idea. We live in a world, by the way, where you have to vote for a bill to find out what's in the bill. Yeah, it's actually true. So true, yeah. if, we, if, if that's yeah. the case, then, yeah, you got to vote for Trump to find out what, what and his in, plan is. And in defense of this, it's like they, as Camille said, you know, everyone says 
that were like, especially Barack Obama says, you know, we're not in the business of nation building anymore. And yeah. every time I open the paper, they like trickle them out. It's like seven troops are oh, in Angola. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, by the way, I see this every day. So what's the total now? It's like yeah. 140,000 <laughs> troops are in Mozambique this afternoon. But, you know, to the point of it, that, you know, our friends, our old enemies should become friends. I would absolutely love that in a world in which our old enemies behaved as if they also wanted to be friends, which they don't. There's a more kind of realistic thing that just does not mean that one stokes a new Cold War and has an incredibly adversarial uh, relationship with Russia. But Russia is an adversarial power at the moment and is acting so. So what does Donald Trump do in that situation? But the second point would be that that on, and I'll be quick on this, is is the the idea that we unleashed the forces of... There's a certain truth to that. Uh-huh. I don't think anybody would deny that. Sure. Um, I guess there's some people I know who deny people that. Yeah, Max, Max Boot or something. <laughs> yeah. there, there, but there, it also, what I think it does is it skirts the complexity of the Middle East and gives no agency to the people in, say, Egypt or, you know, the fact that Derna became an ISIS stronghold in Libya was not, this is, you know, prime. I mean, th- this is not entirely the fault of the United States, who sure. did, by the way, push along with France and along with um, even Italy and uh, along with the United Kingdom of, of upending the Gaddafi regime, which, you know, on paper I support. And then I'm like, wait a second, didn't we just go through this? Right. right. Wasn't this a, you know, it's going to go tits up, isn't it? If I heard you correctly, yeah. I'm really hoping I didn't. Yeah. It sounds like you are saying that Donald Trump is is not dealing with the complexity of a situation. <laughs> it's going to be huge. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so there. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah sure. fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. If there is some fundamental diagnosis, though, we do seem to get to it pretty early on in the speech where he talks about the lack of strategy and the lack of goals yeah, sure. and clear objectives. That's all true, and, by the way. And, yeah. and actually, I don't know how true that is. Well, because, Iraq, because there's never been there's never been any shortage of goals. And there's never been any shortage of strategy. Oh, I see what you're saying. If yeah. anything, I got you. there's yeah. always been short-sightedness about yeah. what might actually happen. Right. And it's not that there isn't good intentions sure. when we go off and do these things. Even when we do things that are, we being the United States, I'm being far too inclusive because I didn't do it. I'm not responsible. Um, but, but even when we go out and do these things, it is in an effort to try to make the world a better place. Um, and... If you don't get that outcome, it's not because you, you didn't. There was a, a lack of goodwill on yeah, your yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. I think, but and yeah, a lack of yeah. an effort, effort to try. And the only difference here with the Trumpian foreign policy, and this is true of quite frankly every single presidential administration, because even Barack Obama, who talked a lot about these same things when he gave a similar speech under similar circumstances, he talked about projecting power into Pakistan, bombing Pakistan. This is candidate Obama, uh, bombing Pakistan if we find out that there is you know a terrorist who's hanging out there, and that was that was perceived. As well, very bold, right? Yeah. Very yeah, bold. I, yeah. I think that the, the where I was, and I'm just trying I, to. No, no, but I was, yeah, I was trying to disagree with you, and I realized that where the difference, <laughs> the difference is here, is that you know we always have macro goals. You know, we're going to make Iraq into, you know, right. Lebanon and then maybe sort of Switzerland. Right. <laughs> uh, we don't have micro goals in the sense of like when we get there, how do we start a government <laughs> where, you know, what like the debathification process? Good right. idea, bad idea, firing everyone in the Iraqi army. Good idea. So those goals, like the actual practical goals, we have soaring rhetorical goals, yes. which we're very, very good at. But, you know, the small stuff, you know, it's like don't sweat the small stuff. And it's all small stuff. It's like, no, seriously, we have to fucking sweat the small stuff (laughs) because there is a collapsing government with having this cascading effect in the Middle East. But again, I mean, you know, to the point about Barack Obama, the candidate, it's really funny because we all, you know, not we all, but there's a lot of people that when he's when he said, I don't oppose wars, I oppose dumb wars. And we all got up to 
clapping. Wow. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Incredible, profound, Bold. great, great speech writing too. Well, what do you consider a smart war? Right. Yeah. And that's what nobody asked. Yeah. Yeah. And the things that he considered smart wars were apparently also really dumb wars. It's really, really bad. And, you know, we, we've been measuring these things only by casualties of Americans. 3,000-odd Americans die in Iraq. Right. Um, how many have died in Libya? You have you know, a small number here and there. But what is the consequence for the rest of, of the Maghreb? Huge. Yeah. So, you know, that's why we don't care so much anymore. Okay, but I, I just want to make a couple of points. Does, do either of you think that... Ted Cruz's foreign policy oh would be better, <laughs> no, or would it be worse? I, and I have same no, question for Hillary no Clinton. It's because to me, Trump is—he sort of positioned himself in a lot of ways. He's to the left of Hillary. Easily, uh-huh. I mean, sure. he's easily to the left of Cruz. I think. Sure, but I think he's way to the left of Hillary too on foreign policy. I'd, I'd say that sounds about right. I mean, it's it's difficult because with Hillary, at least, we have a track record that we can measure her against as as the the the. Uh, Secretary of State. Um, so there's that, at least. With Ted Cruz, a little more difficult to say. Um, I guess we have his rhetoric uh, that we can judge him against. Right. And, and the things that he supported uh, while the president has yeah. been in office yeah. as well. Um, so and the rhetoric is occasionally that. stuff that, that you find... Occasionally. Right? When he says, you know, like adventurism, let's, uh-huh. not, let's not do all that. But then again, you know, you, don't, you can't trust a guy who, depending on his audience, is talking about making the sand glow. Yeah, that's just carpet it. You can't, carpet bombing. But you can't, right? trust, you can't trust any of these people. Right. Because if anyone was going to stay out of stupid right. wars, it was supposed to be Barack Obama. And he certainly failed to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and I just don't have a tremendous amount of confidence in, in any of these people to do the, the good and virtuous things. We haven't even mentioned uh, Mr. Kasich. Um, who I'm not familiar with him. Who's yeah. similarly <laughs> similarly awful? Um, is he one of your is he one of your high school teachers, Mr. Casey? Yeah, exactly. His foreign policy involves dealing with like Michigan, and <laughs> I think that's I don't know. Yeah, it's oh, the, the, the Ipsilanti statement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is, just just one last thing, please. In, in, in sort of in defense of Trump's foreign policy speech. Lindsey Graham didn't like it. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, 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 yeah. There's got to be some yeah. good in it if Lindsey Graham didn't like it. But Lindsey Graham, I have to say, makes it sometimes hard to hate him. Because I don't hate him. And the reason is because he's... policy, he's, yeah, though, yeah, of course. Is, yeah. I mean, he wants to, like, he seriously thinks, you know, we should uh, occupy Grenada again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Lindsey like, Graham is funny as hell. He's funny. Yeah, That's the thing. Like, I, like, he's actually a pretty funny yeah. guy. So weird. Yeah. Anyway. So, right. so there are at least two other things that I wanted us to, to hopefully get into for a little bit. And these are, these are twin dangers that we share mm. uh, as a nation. There are two things that are apparently jeopardizing our future. Mm-hmm. One is sore, sore loser syndrome or oh, the yeah. cult of the sore loser. Sure. We'll, we'll talk about this piece. And the other is the media. So let's start with the sore losers. Yeah. Uh, you have Bernie Sanders, who has been defeated. He should just bow out of not the grace according, gracefully. Not according to him. He should just bow out of the grace yeah. grace, gracefully. He doesn't. He does, you know, <laughs> chop off the heads of a bunch of his campaign staffers, uh, by which I mean he fires them. Uh, I have to clarify yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, especially in this um, day and age. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> and and Ted Cruz uh, pulls a rabbit out of his hat. And uh, as, as you alluded to, he... Yeah. Tells us who his vice president will be sure. if he's fortunate enough to get the nomination. <laughs> this is so crazy. Um, what, what do we what do we make of this? Uh, because we saw this. There's a piece here, a piece by Frank uh, Frank Brunel. Yeah. Is it Brunel? Brunei? Brunei? Sorry, Frank Brunei. Brunei. Bernie. 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 Just so you know, listeners, it's not the Sultan of Brunei. Uh, here's no. what I'll do. It's, it's Frank, Frank Bernie. I'll yeah. say I'll say Frank Bernie. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We'll yeah. edit it. Yeah, all of that out. <laughs> so and you actually better. still fucked it up. Yeah. Frank Bernie. I said. Bernie. 
I don't give Bruno. a crap what his name is because I, I think the piece is wrong. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so much so that you're just going to yeah, bastardize his name. Just, just contemptuously. His name. I, yeah. I, I kid. Yeah. I kid. No, I do think he's completely wrong. Uh, for him, his, his principal contention here seems to be that because of the fractiousness of our politics and the fact that we're all kind of sort of spoiled brats, uh, folks won't bow, bow out of these elections. And the fact that they won't bow out quickly sort of jeopardizes the credibility of our democracy and makes it more difficult and unlikely for us to solve big, hard problems. I don't know if that diagnosis is correct. I think it's I be, unlikely we'll solve big, hard, hard problems. <laughs> I would but be I surprised the libertarian the like you thought that, you know, only if we were more unified, the government could solve more of our problems. <laughs> I'd be surprised if you thought that, Camille. <laughs> but, but it's, I mean, the also the, the fundamental failing here is that Politicians have always kind of hated one another. They've always sure. cast aspersions on one another. They've always suggested that anyone, they've anyone been seen robbed. <laughs> that they've been robbed no. by other people. Yeah. We, we act, we've endured a civil war. Yeah. Like, I don't know that Ted Cruz and Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders all complaining that it's unfair and they're not being treated fairly is that big a deal or even a surprise. But should we care about this Well, at all? no, because the thing is, there's some truth to it. And maybe... Maybe more than some. And the things I'm talking about, the kind of things I mean are, you know, you had Bernie complaining about the New York setup where you had to switch your party registration sure. by last October to vote in the in the yeah. primary. You had Trump complaining about the, you know, arcane GOP rules in some states and whatever. <clears throat> things like that are set up by the parties precisely to hurt insurgent campaigns. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Party apparatchiks weren't stupid about this. The things they set up, well, they worked, at least in the Democratic Party. Well, yeah, the, the superdelegate system, to point out, was, yeah. was was created after George McGovern. And after this exactly. idea, idea in 1972, it's like, shit, we lost 49 states. How do we how do we not have this candidate win in the future that we can be more more likely to affect the, the candidate that we get by by choosing the superdelegates party party people? But the, the twin questions here are. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's the flip and, side. And, sure. yeah. and if it were uh, if it were otherwise, if there were, but, you know, this absolute uh, democracy and that were the way was the way we were going about selecting candidates or anything else, it wouldn't make certain that but we the, have better outcomes. But the thing is, we you, and we talked about it earlier, there's, there's this the perception that the system is rigged. Uh-huh. None of this helps fight that perception That's right. because the perception is pretty damn accurate yeah uh-huh. i mean it's set up in a particular sure, yeah. i pointed this out last week and i think it's worth pointing out again is that you notice that you never hear people complain about these things beforehand so right. like in 2000 before the election as the election was roiling in 2000 no one said you know i really hate this fucking electoral college uh, system <laughs> I, I yeah well you did but I there's did. like six of you and like yeah. everyone is complaining the day of the new york primaries like well, i can't believe i can't switch my registration yeah. today. It's like, you didn't even know who Bernie Sanders was three weeks ago. But, and that, but that's actually the problem. And that's the thing, though. Yeah. Like, had Clearly, Bernie Sanders didn't think the New York primary would be important to him no. back last I October. Don't think he thought any of them would be no, that's what I mean. If he had thought of it, he would have told people, hey, make sure you get out there if you're an exactly. independent and you want to vote for me and switch. Yeah. And that's precisely, like, like I was saying, 
that's why this is set up to hurt insurgencies. Yeah. You know, the the sort of the grassroots Bernie Sanders thing that built over these months. And then you get to New York and it's like, ah, too late, fucker. Yeah, no, I mean, that's right. And <laughs> yeah. it's like you should the, the lesson on all of this for political consultants. And I should give this to Mike Murphy and he can charge eight million dollars for it. And give me <laughs> give me ten bucks and a bag of aquarium gravel in, in response. But is is always run a campaign like you're winning from the first day. And the thing about, you know, it's it's Camille said at the beginning. You know, this uh, Bernie, Bernie Sanders is mathematically eliminated. He's doing that now because he appears to believe that, you know, my guess is that he's going to be like his 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 hero, Fidel Castro, and then retreat to the Oof. mountains, <laughs> the mountains of, of, of Vermont uh-huh. with his gorillas in the Sierra Mestre right. and then actually go into D.C. in like a year and a half time. Wait, who will be his Che? Uh, <laughs> uh, Amy Goodman. <laughs> Amy Goodman. Did no. I just provide a great wow. transition for you? Oh, wow, what a great segue. It's a good segue. Uh, apparently, yeah. we have Amy Goodman to thank yeah. for bringing to all of our attention that yeah. our democracy is further put into jeopardy by the corporate media. Yeah. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, uh, there is a, a piece from AJ Plus. That is making the rounds. It's a short video. Which features... I just want to point out is not the corporate media. It is the kingdom of Qatari media, <laughs> which is much better of a I was gonna get hateful, to that. homophobic uh, oil kingdom. Right. Much I was, better. I was going to get to that. That yeah. AJ Plus via Facebook is pushing this video everywhere. Yeah. So we shouldn't trust it because the corporations are behind it. Here, Here is a clip of Miss Amy Goodman explaining what's wrong with the world. It is critical in an election year to hear how policies affect people on the ground. Not to get the pundits, but to get the people themselves. They're bringing you the pundits, and this is true on all the networks, the pundits, who know so little about so much, explaining the world to us and getting it so wrong. The media manufactures consent for Sounds war, scary. for candidates and elections <laughs> by bringing you more, for example, of one person, like Donald Trump. He is pumped into everyone's home. He can just stay in a gold-gilded mansion in New York or one of them in Florida. The rest of the candidates trudge from one state to another. Why does he get this unfiltered uh, pipeline into everyone's brain, into your eyes, into your consciousness. It matters. The Tyndall Center did a report in 2015. They looked at the whole year. They found Donald Trump got 23 times the coverage of, say, Bernie Sanders. They found ABC World News Tonight did something like 81 minutes on Donald Trump. And I think they gave Bernie Sanders 20 seconds. I, 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 I can't. I mean, I can't. Good. I'm about to lose my mind. <laughs> I'm seriously blowing a gasket what's, right what's here. What's wrong? All of all of that's true. Oh, my Obviously. God. Seriously. Do I'm you think Amy Goodman would be out. upset if Bernie out. Sanders had 23 times the coverage of, of no, Trump? No, it would be, here's, it'd be here, right here, here, Here's the thing. There's a million problems with this. The first one is that uh, tweet us. At uh, We the Fifth and uh, at Andy Levy and yeah. uh, Camille Foster Don't. and MC Moy. If <laughs> you not saw this, tweet at me. No, <laughs> if you saw this um, uh, on your Facebook wall. Uh, from more than one person or more than two people. Yeah. I saw like 600 people, which I guess tells you something about my friends. They're all <laughs> like, this is, this, they were blown away by this. And the second you hear the Noam Chomsky line, Manufacturing Consent, which is the name of one of Chomsky's uh, dumbest books, and he's got plenty of those. This Here's the problem with this. 23 times the coverage. You know, uh, uh, Donald Trump got probably, you know, infinity times the coverage 
of me. Right. Why is that? Right. Because he captured the imagination. Right. What did it, here's the benchmark. What was the coverage that he got when he was polling at 2%? It wasn't huge, by the way. Right. And a lot of people saying at this point that, you know, this is a joke candidacy. He can't do it. He catches fire. So every single candidate who catches fire, and we have to pay attention to them, of course, because that's the job of the fucking media, is to pay attention. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Huffington Post. You can't consign somebody to the entertainment section because you don't like them. I hate him, too, but he is a real political force, and this happens, so what do we do? What do we do? We ignore him because we find him reprehensible. So what is the narrative about the Chomsky narrative about the media then, when the most popular candidate in America is being roundly ignored? Is he getting too much coverage? Well, I don't know. What do you judge by too much coverage? Are the ratings up? Is too much coverage means people are watching him. I mean, what you want to do in all this is not blame the corporate media, blame the American people who love this stuff. Yeah. If it didn't work, they wouldn't watch it. She's not complaining that Jim Gilmore didn't get enough coverage. Exactly. <laughs> or, <laughs> or Jim Webb. Yeah, exactly. Both Second. of those guys were not covered. No. And there was, you know, there was a reason for that. But she's yeah. not complaining about that. And yeah. uh, so I, I just, look, Amy Goodman has... You know, put herself in harm's way to get stories. Sure, she's a great journalist and oh, all that. Andy. I know. I, I I I don't want to trash her. I just think I, I, I think she's <laughs> I think she's wrong about some things here. Media resources are finite. They have you can't cover everything. Yeah. So, you know, that's why Jim Gilmore and that's why Jim Webb didn't get any coverage because you no. just there's not enough time in the day. There's not enough. Whatever. I, I, I have to ask Amy Goodman, and ask these people, and ask people who, you know, put this on my Facebook feed, all of you assholes. If we had, you know, equal time, equal access uh, to the media, <laughs> if we had government-funded elections, and we had a celebrity that had a reality TV show, let me tell you something about Donald Trump. You might not know this. He knows how to handle the media because he's a media celebrity sure. for 30 plus years. Sure. If we had all these things being equal, would Donald Trump be in the position he is? My answer to that question is absolutely. Undoubtedly. This is not the... I, it's so easy to blame the media and take the heat off us. Yeah. As Americans, as people that are... I don't vote for this asshole, but as people who do <laughs> vote for him and say, like, no, 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 no. You know? And, and, and what I... You, you, I, say, I just, you just, say us. You say us in, in a room full of pundits. Yeah, in a room full of pundits. <laughs> but, but we shouldn't be trusted. I, I, and I'm sorry to rant about this, but this is the thing that annoys me. And I mentioned this to you the other day. This all goes back to something that... Amy Goodman, of course, knows very well. It's the Marxist idea of false consciousness. And false consciousness is a great old Marxist concept that basically means, and this is the nutshell version of it, if you disagree with me, it's the media's fault. It's yeah. the capitalist class's fault. So basically you say, well, we went out there and we canvassed and told them about you know, the collectivization of the grain and how the peasants would all have you know, parties together. And they didn't buy it because of the <laughs> false consciousness in, you know, put upon them by the media. This has been transformed post-Cold War by people like Chomsky saying this is the manufacturing of consent. It's the same thing as false consciousness. It's sure. saying that all, the only reason our ideas fail, and this is what Amy Goodman is ultimately saying, is because powerful interests are suppressing them or amplifying other people's views. It's bullshit. It's because your views aren't popular. I think it's unfortunate that a lot of Donald Trump's views are popular, but they are. Yeah, well, there's there's two there's two other things that I think are worth highlighting. Obviously, the volume of coverage isn't everything. Yeah. Uh, the overwhelming majority of the coverage that Donald was getting, especially early on, yeah. was was 
probably pretty darn negative. Um, it's yeah. his divorces, it's failed businesses, it's all sorts of terrible That's things. A very good point. It's the fights that are breaking out at his rallies. It's the fact that he can't possibly win, which everyone on television yeah. was telling you day right. in and day out. Right. He can't win. If this was a corporate strategy to get Donald Trump nominated or elected, <laughs> it is the most ridiculous, yeah, asinine, backwards strategy that has ever been employed. And it's worth also mentioning that Bernie Sanders, she she co- conveniently refers to reporting from last year. But this year, Bernie Sanders had, as of, a, I think, like the end of February, spent about as much as Hillary and garnered more media coverage than almost anybody else running except for Donald Trump sure. and Hillary right. Clinton. Yeah. Worth noting these facts as well. Yeah. Uh, Bernie Bernie did relatively well for himself. The, the, the media was all too excited. The media disembodied There's another thing she entity. said that I think is just... Look, I, I actually, I agree with her about the, the fact that Trump was allowed to call in to a bunch of shows and stuff yeah. like that, whereas other candidates would have to be there. Yeah, I, I didn't like that. Yeah, I don't like. I don't that like that either. too much. That's, that's right. But she does say she says something about the other candidates are trudging from state to state. So is Trump. Yeah, he is. I, yeah, I, you know, he's not. He's not conducting his campaign from Trump Tower. He's out. No. He, he, I, I, this yeah, when I a demonstrably when I, false statement. When I was in Iowa, he was there every day. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I followed him around uh, the state for. Yeah. For a bit, and he was really, uh, you know, putting in the miles on the odometer and like doing like shoe leather kind of stuff. And and you know, the the only people that I saw do that better um, were the Sanders people. They were really, really effective and yeah. really, really organized. And you know, the, the larger narrative of the Sanders campaign is true. You know, mostly small donations. They really do have a fired up uh, uh, base that 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 was doing everything they possibly could to get the word out. But to back to your point, though, is that you know, to the the media coverage it being negative. You know, I made this point to you the other day, and I think we did this on the on the serious uh, XM program. Mm-hmm. Is that you know you would think in a normal world, oh, yeah. the amount of coverage Donald Trump was getting and what the coverage was, it would sink his campaign, not strengthen it. That the American people right. would you know every time he's in the news, it's because he's saying something outrageous, outrageous. and right. crazy. Right. And most, I would hope, you know, it would be nice to live in a country where people actually were repelled by that. Right. And but they're not, and that is also. The reason why he is covered so much yeah. Yeah. is because, you know, look, Ted Cruz yesterday gave a speech introducing Carly Fiorina as his vice presidential candidate. <laughs> the only sure. thing outrageous about it was the idea of Carly Fiorina yeah. being his yeah. vice presidential candidate. <laughs> his speech was just a bore from start yeah. to finish. Yeah. And it, when Donald Trump gives a speech, there is a chance, and it's a probably better than 50% chance, that he is going to say something nutty or outrageous. And that's why you cover which, it, which is at and least by the interesting. Way, that's why he does it. Yeah, like, yeah. he's not he's not an idiot. Stupid. Yeah, not when it comes to playing the media. He's an idiot yeah. about politics, but he's very good. Right. Right. There's, there's one other thing I wanted to play for you guys, and this may make you feel a little better, Andy, because I think there's there's some redeeming qualities in it, and this is a little bit more from the uh, Amy Goodman oh, spot. In this high tech <laughs> digital age, with high definition television, digital radio, HDTV is static. That veil of distortion and lies and misrepresentations and half-truths that obscure reality. When what we need the media to give us is the dictionary definition of static. Criticism, opposition, unwanted interference. We need a media that covers power, not covers for power. We need a media that is the fourth estate, not for the state. Moynihan, you're having like conniptions over here. There's there's parts of that. 
No. Th- that is that is right. No. Yeah. Right? No, you're I mean, we do yeah. need an adversarial that, right. media. Okay, first of all... The media can't be for the state. I'm sorry, we have an adversarial media, <laughs> and it's just it's not... Right here it's, it's right here in this room. It's right here in this room. I mean, and I'm totally serious about this. I know. Amy Goodman is the adversarial media. Absolutely. She's like, in this age of, like, technology, yes, this age of technology that allows people to watch, you know, Democracy Now! and listen to it on podcasts and watch it on their computer. Yeah. And, you know, there is an adversarial relationship. This idea that it's this cozy, cozy, cozy thing you see in certain places for sure i mean look at morning joe for christ's sake that is like you know and who would have thought msnbc would have been the tribune for trump but you know this this sense that you know we, the, the the media just has to be adversarial and it's it's just you know it's all it sounds like a bruce springsteen song it's you know all static it's 57 channels and nothing on come on man it's like it's not all static there are so many like look at the stuff that the new york times has done digging into trump's business dealings look at the stuff the washington post has done digging into trump university yeah. this idea is a convenient idea for people who hate the quote-unquote corporate media you know i hate it too but i don't believe there's a conspiracy right. to keep me stupid what she is saying and this is the point over and over and over again in this dumb clip is what she is saying (laughs) is that the people in the media do not propagate my views period that is it which is you and and, and, and by the way if you see um the the democracy now set it's pretty impressive they have satellite stuff it looks like a real tv channel full of hippies (laughs) you know i mean now granted like half the stuff is on asada shakur but they're doing a real operation and there's a lot i mean people listen i listen to it when i hear it on wbai or whatever like i think it's pretty good sometimes i disagree with a lot of but i think amy goodman does good programming i just think she's wrong when she says that we all should be like her Andy, you got you got anything else on this no look i as you brought up, I agree. Do you leave? <laughs> I, I, think, I think Michael is a bully. Yeah, he is. Uh, obviously. I think, I I think uh, he is being politically incorrect, and I don't like that. Yes. Um, but look, yeah, as you said, the media, to me, should always be in opposition to the power structure. I mean, that, yeah. that should go without saying. If the people in power are happy with your coverage, unless they're some kind of, you know, unbelievably rare species where they're like, oh, well, this was negative coverage of me, but it was fair. And that yeah. doesn't, we know that doesn't exist. So if if the people in power are happy with your coverage, you're probably not doing I a great think that's job. Also, I, but I do think that's also yeah. right. Yeah, I agree with you on yeah. that. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, look, and, and, if a politician says two plus two is four, I, I think you got to, you know, you, you got to look at where both of those twos came from, damn right. why they need to be added together. Sure. Damn right. And right. maybe the basic principles of mathematics. Yeah. And not just say, you know, well, uh, this politician, but this politician says yeah. two plus two is four, yeah. and present it as a, a, a counterfactual if it's not. Absolutely. And I think that's where the media sometimes fails. But on the other hand, Amy Goodman is railing against pundits. But because she wants regular people on television, they they obviously right. understand uh, the GDP deflator and the money multiplier and and then look, all sorts of other things. A lot of <laughs> a lot of Trump, I mean, she's a pundit. Well, and a, a <laughs> lot of Trump's coverage has been non-pundit coverage. It, is, it has been just raw coverage of his speeches. Yeah, yeah. just letting people hear what yeah. he's saying. Yeah, that's good. And she doesn't like that either. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, I just I go back to again. I you know, unlike you, Michael, I respect Amy Goodman, and I think she's hey, doing some good I, stuff. Uh, let me just end on this. I think I told you I listened to her. I I um, you like the li- sound of her voice. I like I like what she does. I just don't I don't believe this nonsense 
that you know there's some kind of mythical place where where this right. would all work perfectly, right. and there's at other countries where it, right. where there is no corporate media. I mean, most places actually the media is government run, affiliated with one party. America is comparatively to the places that I've lived had a livelier and freer and more adversarial media. Yeah. Speaking of government run media, uh, another yes. fantastic segue. Sure, Moynihan. it's almost yeah. as if we're writing this stuff down. <laughs> uh, Venezuela, yeah, tragic. Awful, miserable story. Yes. Um, all of the hope and the promise uh, of the people that they put into uh, Mr. Chavez. Yeah. Apparently they put into prison. <laughs> well, that, yeah. that too, unfortunately. Um, but but this this week, uh, the, the work week has been reduced to two days a week. Um, this is after an already reduction from four days a week uh, because of all of the various problems that they're having there, particularly keeping the lights on mm-hmm. uh, because the, the power is not working properly. But the entire economy is in a disarray. Uh, the, the shelves have been bare for a very, very long time. People are using social media to find pharmaceutical goods. Um, on one hand, of course, the well, media, as we talked about. What? Well, no, no. What? 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 No. what? <laughs> you think that's normal to find? Oh, oh, you mean I mean you would do that to like Craigslist to get like your I mean, cotton or something? People do that in America too. <laughs> yeah, that's my point. yeah, yeah. Except their diabetes medication. <laughs> yeah, like well, please, please. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 Moynihan, uh, so you grown, you you had some thoughts on this when we talked about it uh, yeah. earlier this week. It, it, I mean, yeah. people have always had opinions on Venezuela. It's a really, it's a great, it's a great one. There's a, there's a guy that uh, teaches at UMass. I think he's uh, emeritus now. I think he's gone. And everyone should read his books named Paul Hollander. And Hollander uh, wrote a great book in the 80s called Political Pilgrims about the pilgrimages that people looking for better societies take. It's a really fascinating book. And, you know, it's, it's, at that point, there was still a big Cuba push. And everything ends in disaster. Everything ends in failure. And everything ends in disappointment. So the political pilgrims, they keep kind of popping up, despite the fact that, you know, all these pe- places keep collapsing. And they, literally, there really were people that were thinking of Vietnam, thinking of Cambodia, etc. And so the last one was pretty much Venezuela. And, you know, uh, people said these things about Venezuela, that this is just a really, you know, it's uh, they still do. There are people that still say this stuff. And as a matter of fact, I looked up um, uh, what people had said about Maduro. Hmm. Because what happens in situations like this is you have Chavez to Maduro, you're essentially seeing what happened when Lenin died. I mean, I honestly believe it. And when Trotsky went into exile, because there are people that didn't have that much visible blood in their hands. So they could say, well, no, I'm actually not a Stalinist, please. I'm actually a Trotskyite because he got kicked out of the country. But who was actually brutal when you actually look at what he was when he's running the Red Army. But this is what is happening now. They say, no, 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 Chavez was actually pretty good. And Maduro is one of those. But we still have people. Danny Glover has praised Maduro. <laughs> like, actually praised Maduro. Look these quotes up. Sean Penn praised Maduro. And when I was uh, on uh, MSNBC on Chris Hayes' show right after Chavez died, I was on with somebody um, named Greg Grandin from The Nation who had just written a piece. And in the piece, he said, uh, this is his great quote about Chavez. He said, people said he was an authoritarian. The problem is he wasn't authoritarian enough. Hmm. And so I'm on TV with him, and it was one of my Jeez. worst appearances because I was surrounded by five Chavistas, and, and I, 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 I folded. I just basically, I didn't fold. I pushed back, but not hard enough. And in this thing, Greg Grandin says to Chris Hayes, you know, there's you know 25% inflation, but you know, that's not a big deal. And then, but you know, no one holds these people to account because the big, it's the highest rate of inflation in the world right now. I think it's predicted to be something 700% this year. Jeez. And it was, it's out of control and, and the country has been destroyed. And I could give you a room full of a hundred people who are prominent people, well known people that have defended 
this regime, lied about this regime, propped up the, this regime, and there will be no consequences uh, in the sense that, you know, um, there are probably no consequences for a lot of stuff, actually. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we're real, real supporters of Venezuela, and it's just a situation that is really grim, really depressing, and it's a story that I care a lot about because I have a lot of Venezuelan friends, and I've been there, and I did a documentary there, and to see what's happened to that country is... It was so utterly predictable, yeah. and um, to look at the people that made predictions that were opposite is really depressing. So anyway, that's my yeah. rant. I feel like we also have to say the Venezuelans are wonderful people. Good people. Yeah. Good people. Yeah. They are very, good people. Very good people. Good yeah. papooses. Yeah. And now they don't even have the yeah. arepas. <laughs> I feel like we always, Don't we always have to say that now when we don't like someone's yeah. government? You always, you always have to make sure to say, yeah. you know. Was there a time when it was yeah. like, I really don't like the government of Grenada? And you know what? The people yeah, are pretty people shitty are not, too. Not so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now you have to make yeah. sure, you know. Yeah, that's, that's like, yeah, maybe we should do that. I, I'll tell you what, like, you know, the, the, the Venezuelans I've met are really nice. There are countries that are full of monstrously <laughs> yeah. horrible people. But. I'm just picturing like, you know, 1939 Germany. It's like, yeah, yeah, the Germans, you know, the are, Germans are very good people. Are good people. They, they, they really, they, they care. You know, they're not like, they don't like him. You know, Andy, that is a very good point, actually, because there is an, uh, an argument that in American films at the time, the baddies, when you were talking about the Pacific, were the Japanese, and the baddies on the other side were the Nazis. Right. As distinct from the Germans. Right, exactly. They, because yeah. everybody knew Germans they lived with in like New York City. I mean, they were Germans and yeah. Nazis, and the others yeah. were just Japanese people. <laughs> can't can't just have a can't just have an accent. No, 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 accent. no, no. Well, yeah, no. The situation in Venezuela uh, terribly tragic, uh, enormously sad. Um, I I do hope it turns around, but it is it is sort of remarkable to look at what's happening there. I think for plenty of Americans, there's just a sense. Well, it's South America. I mean, things are screwed up in South sure. America. No, I mean this was a this was a country that fantastic done wealth incredibly well. Uh, the Tower of David, which turned into yeah, yeah. a squatter colony, yeah. was yeah. I, was it going to be like the tallest building the tallest in, building in, in Venezuela? In, in Venezuela yeah. for now sure. it's run by guys. Um, yeah. and, and I'm not even sure at this point because they, they started to clear people out. I was reading a story the other day uh, about them clearing people out and moving them to other housing only to get there to this other housing with a bus full of people being moved from the Tower of David to discover that that place had had squatters move into it as well. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the um, city, total I mean, disaster. Keep in mind. That this is a city that this is a country that um, squandered an enormous amount of. I mean, the oil is what of one hundred and forty dollars a barrel. Oh yeah, and they were pumping, 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 and making piles of money. And, they, and the Bolivarian Revolution, they called them the bully bourgeoisie. All of a sudden, with Hummers and you know all right. this money, and you know, the people when I was there, this is still when oil prices were very high. It was like, how can this possibly be in a country that is supposedly based on socialist principles? Yeah. But, you know, but uh, the, the parting shot here is, uh, to, is that we were talking about this the other day is uh, Occam's razor, mm. uh, the expression Occam's razor. And uh, you got a little uh, shit from somebody on Twitter. And I hope that you alert no. this person on Twitter <laughs> to say, listen to the whole podcast, because the last few minutes are about Occam's razor well, and racism. Well, I, I get nervous I, when Camille talks about this. I took uh, I took the step of actually responding to this person already. So I have I have gone ahead and, and at least acknowledged your yeah. complaint. Um, and, I, and I should say for anyone listening to for the first time, we, we've talked about racism and race uh, a fair amount on this podcast. Um, we could actually have an entire podcast that was devoted to the stupid, idiotic things that people have said in the past week about race. Um, and someone tweeted at me, and, and it's facts on facts is what, what he calls himself, but he's at, what is that? Ocular Prime. Mm -hmm. ocular underscore prime uh, and he says camille i'm enjoying the fifth column i'm glad you are good uh, my only yeah, quibble smart. is that occam's razor is noticeably dull discussing racism 
And I, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that, but my, mm. my suspicion is mm. that you're suggesting that somehow uh, when we talk about racism and perhaps particularly when I talk about racism and I deviate from sort of the standard explanation uh, that is deployed uh, when we look at, say, the statistics that are coming out of Chicago and they're like, oh, there are a lot more black people being killed uh, relative to their percentage of the population. Obviously, the police are racist. That if I posit an alternative narrative, um, that that is me defying Occam's razor, which suggests that the sort of simplest solution, at least in common practice, is probably the accurate one. The simplest theory is probably the accurate one. Mm. That's not how Occam's razor works. Um, how Occam's razor actually works is that if there are other relevant facts and those other relevant facts don't comport with your simpler theory about the world, then you're still wrong. That's right. And we don't actually go with your inadequate, incomplete completely wrong theory simply because it's more elegant. Otherwise, let there be light would be all the explanation that we need for how the universe came to be. Mm. And perhaps you believe that because you think the other thing is too technical and too complicated. Uh, but your intellectual deficiency uh, does not necessarily... Not you. Not you. I'm not taking the shot. Not the listener. No, yeah. not the no, listener. No. I just to be clear, he, he was looking at Moynihan when he I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I got a little yeah, excited. I got a little excited. It's definitely not the listener. And I, want I, to point out, I want to point out that he said he liked the show. I'm not taking a shot at DSC. Yes. Yeah. He likes the show. I want you to keep listening. So now we're down to 12 to 11 listeners. Stop it. Stop it. No, we're very popular with the people, with the kids in particular. Not if you're ending the show with denouncing people who like the show. But in all seriousness, I think most people People misunderstand Occam's <laughs> razor, and there and there is undoubtedly there is undoubtedly a desire, I think, for people to be on the right side of these issues. I don't deny that there are acts of racism and even racist people in the world, or even in this get, room. Get that on record. No, in this room, definitely. Michael Moynihan is a horrible, Nazi. unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable. By the way, love you. I'm Camille. working on him. I know, black, black person. I know. Don't like Andy. Jew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leave well, me. Very particular That's about his bigotry. <laughs> That's the yeah, I'm just anti-Semitic. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I've gone on long enough. Um, perhaps you disagree with me on 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 substance, and you can. Um, but you can't disagree with me because I'm bringing facts to bear you that you hadn't considered um, without at least giving me some rational reason not to include those facts. Yeah, so, call in next time. We'll, yeah. give you the, we'll give you tweet at us. We'll give you the number. Yeah, I'll give you my personal cell phone number. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. And, and you got any well, anything else? You got anything on this particular issue? I, I don't know. I don't want to get you to... Or, to, or I would just say, or anything you want to end on. Yeah, I, yeah. I do have something I want to end on because this has been bothering me the, the whole hour. Oh, okay. um, Moynihan walked in here with, uh, I believe it was a salad. A salad, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you get that at Roast Kitchen? I did. Well, this the sticker yeah. from his bag has been sitting on this table yeah. the whole time. <laughs> and his name, they have, you yeah. know, his name is yeah. on it. And it's spelled M-I-C-H-E-A-L. Oh, and yeah. it has yeah. been bugging the fuck out <laughs> wow. of me. I've been just been getting angrier and angrier staring wow. at it for I, the I, last I, hour. And I, I'm guessing that it probably showed on, you know, to, to the <laughs> yeah, listeners. No, when you were, like, playing with it. Yeah. yeah. No, you're going to be able to hear that. That's, oh, uh, that's Andy. True, yeah. Andy, uh, I'll, just t- I'll just put this. When you next watch Red Eye, because you should watch this great show, and when it comes to Andy in the halftime, just look, in, look into his eyes and say, that is a man with obsessive compulsive disorder. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> that's exactly what just happened right yeah. now. Yeah. And you know what? I haven't finished a salad, and we're going to end right now so I can eat my salad. Okay? <laughs> and just right. like that. Yeah. Oh, new oh. Well, thank you for joining us this week. Contact us. Visit us at wethefifth.com. Tweet at us at wethefifth. Thank you for joining us, Andy Levy. 
Thanks Thank for having you, John. Me. Appreciate Thanks, it. Andy. Yay. See you guys next time. Bye. Later. <laughs> <laughs>